We're in uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3. We'll be in 2 today, but it takes us through chapter 3. John the Revelator has taken us to the third stop on the seven churches of Asia tour. Um, someone want to give me the first stop that we could read about in Revelation 2? Ephesus, and um, what, did Ephesus have an issue? They, they basically had lost their first love. They did a lot of good things, but they had lost their first love. So uh, try to remember one major thing from each of the seven churches of Asia. So I think we can all agree that Ephesus was, they lost their first love. But where was the second stop? Smyrna, and, and what was Smyrna's problem that, that Jesus mentioned? Didn't have a problem. Well, they had problems, but uh, Jesus wasn't critical of them. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I mentioned last week that, uh, that um, the only two, one way to remember the two churches that no, nothing was said negatively was just remember that there is a Smyrna Tennessee, and there's a uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, um, <clears throat> and there's not others. Well, the great state of Alabama <laughs> came through. Greg and Judy uh, pulled up a map on Alabama, and Alabama has Sardis, <laughs> Laodicea, uh, Thyatira, so I can never use that again. And thank you for, for, for Alabama. So I learned something there. Learned something there. Pergamus. <clears throat> or some, some call it Pergamum. Pergamus. Pergamus was uh, 55 miles straight due, due north of Smyrna in the uh, area they call Asia Minor. Pergamus is interesting in that when the Romans came through in 133 B.C., they didn't put up a fight at all. The king of Pergamon, Pergamus uh, said, we welcome the Romans. Please don't destroy any of the city. We yield, we submit to your rule and your religion and we're at your, we're at your mercy, and, which is unusual. So the Romans actually did that. They just, uh, and they, they became well-liked uh, well by the Romans because they didn't have to, to, to conquer Pergamus uh, in 133. Um, about 104 years later, roughly in 29 AD, um, the first temple, uh, shrine, if you will, maybe shrine's a better word, uh, was dedicated to uh, Caesar Augustus worship, that you would, the, the first in all of, all of uh, Asia Minor to actually require uh, worship of Caesar as a god, and that was in Pergamus, Pergamon. Um, it was noted to have a, a wonderful library in fact, had over 200,000, we'd call it books, maybe parchments would be the better, 
better term then. And um, it's also interesting that, that uh, Mark Anthony, who we've read about, and his, and his uh, main girl, Cleopatra, um, they raided 200,000 of these books, we'll call them, and sent them to Alexandria, the, the world famous, the number one library in the world was in Alexandria, Egypt, and Mark Antony and Cleopatra had something to do with taking those books, parchments from Pergamum. Just kind of an interesting, oh, by the way, kind of thing. Um, they had shrines, statues. They were, it was filled, no wonder that the, Jesus calls it the synagogue of Satan, the, the home of Satan, because they took idol worship to a new level. Uh, and I just wrote down a few, but um, uh, statues and altars of Zeus, Athena, um, Bacchus, the god of wine. We all, we've heard of that one. Um, they had one called Asclepios. Asclepios was, was um, the god of healing. They were noted for their medicine there but noted as a god of healing, and their symbol or the statue was of a serpent. Well, we don't know for sure, but that could be one of the reasons that, that Jesus called it the uh, place of Satan. Because Satan, how is he depicted many times? As a serpent. Just interesting. God, well, how would Jesus know all that? What does he say in, 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 in all of these? He said, I walk among you. Oh, I know about you. I know all about your eye salve and Laodicea and the lukewarm. We'll get into all. I know about all of that. I also know that you're well known for Asclepios, the god of healing and the serpent there. In addition to all the stuff that you're going on, it's like Athens almost to the unknown god, Paul said. That was Pergamum. That was Pergamum. Um, the church there was predominantly Gentile because you notice when in your reading that Jews are not mentioned at all. You know, they were being antagonized by the Jews like they were in Ephesus uh, and other places that, that he mentions. Uh, and then some of the things that was, we get toward the end when he's talking about, about Pergamum, about... Um, uh, the idolatry and the sexual immorality and all those things that the Gentiles were noted for, not so much the Jews. So there could have been Jews members, probably there were a few, but this was a Gentile city with all the Gentile immorality, kind of like Corinth. We'll get into some of that as we move a little further. Um, so that is Pergamum. Um, any questions or comments so far? That's just kind of a decent, hopefully a decent background of Pergamum or Pergamus. Uh, there's only a few verses. I thought we'd read it, and then we'll talk about the white stone, and we'll talk about some of those things at, at, at the end, just, just because I suspect when you read some of these things, the hidden manna, who's he talking about there? Uh, the white stone, we'll, 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 I'll give you some ideas there that might make some sense. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, 
and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days which, in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have these, uh, you have there, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. And in five of the, five of the churches, he uses this word. He says, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, some of these churches, like in the book of Ephesus he talks about, we can go to Acts 18, we can go to Acts 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 19, 18's Corinth, uh, and Acts 20, and so on. Well, where do we go to find out about Pergamos? So, where was that again? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Nowhere. It's not there. This is what we know about Pergamos. Now there are things written you know, by some of the early historians that, that we can read about, but it's not gospel. A whole lot of truth in it. That's where a lot of this stuff comes from, but it's just not there. This is what we know about uh, Pergamum uh, in, in Asia Minor. Um, <clears throat> he says, he who has a sharp two-edged sword We've talked a little bit about that as well. Uh, what's the connotation or what's the insinuation of, of, of a two-edged sword? What, what, what's the idea there? Well, it, it does. It, it cuts you coming and going. I like that, Dennis. I like that. That thing will cut you coming and going. It, it, okay, it can, it can certainly divide, in this case, the word. Uh, it's oh, what does what does the, the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews four? Sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to you know we talked about that last week, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, and so on, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So this is Jesus. I'm among you. I'm walking among you, and I've got this uh, metaphor. This this, this um, um, the sword, it's two-edged, and what he's saying is, I know about you. I know about you. You're not hiding from me. Gary? The words are very powerful. Words create. To hear words to give life. No, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, and that's that word, kind of what Dennis said. It, it cuts you going and coming. It'll give you words of life. But it also can cut you the other way and be words of death if you don't obey it. Uh, that, that, that's good. All right, so he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And what appears, um, are they standing for the Lord? Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, to the point of what? Can you imagine if this morning the, the authorities come and with, with uh, uh, what Brian was preaching this morning, 
and what Sean is getting ready to preach at the second lesson. And they can be arrested. In this council cancel culture, for sure. They had kind of a cancel culture going on there, too, sort of. Um, and they took either Sean or, or one of the elders out, and they, and they, 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 or they killed him right here in front of you. What, what would a lot of people do, more than likely? <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, this, is, this has got serious all of a sudden. Well, they took out Antipas. They killed him. In front of them, I don't know. It could have been. Sometimes that's the way you do things, and you put fear in everybody else. What did they do? Did they run? They did not run. They didn't run. Um, they stood. You hold fast my name. You did not deny me. What did Jesus say he's going to do? Now, if you deny me, that's your right, by the way. You're a, you're a free moral agent. You're not a puppet on strings. I just pull and jerk and you jump. You can deny me. And what did he say he would do on that last day? He said, I'll deny you before my father. I will. If you stand for me, then I'll stand for you at the judgment. I, you know, those are my words, but that, that, that's what, basically what he was saying. And he said, even in, a, in the midst of all of this idolatry, and all of this, this immorality, it was like Corinth on steroids almost. Uh, you did not run. You did not hide. You did not deny me. And he said, that's where Satan dwells, so to speak. Is that a pretty strong commendation? You better believe it that it is. Well, that's true. He, yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't say they left their first love. I mean, evidently they still have a strong love for the Lord. What seemed to be their problem? This is what we'll memorize for next week. They're harboring error in their midst. They're, 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 you might even say they're compromising, tolerating. All these are really good words. Well, Jesus just said that you're standing for me. They're even dragging you out, some of you, and killing you. But you're, you're, you're still standing for me. You haven't lost your first love, but they, they, they've gotten to the point where they were willing to compromise with error. Now, do we read of another uh, pretty similar kind of situation in Corinth? What were they compromising, Don? They were. They were compromising uh, with an adulterer. They, they were taught. I'm sorry, Sean, I saw you earlier. Go ahead, brother. No, no, no. You go right ahead. I was just going to say, I know we're about to talk about that part, but I've always been really encouraged by him calling out Antipas. You don't read about many individual Christians named in this section. You're just people. But he calls out Antipas. I don't know. We don't know anything else about Antipas. No, that's it. Uh, 
Oh, that, that, that's a really good point. And even when we get to Sardis soon, Sardis was a church that was a, was a train wreck. But he said there's a few, even in Sardis, who have not stained your garments and you'll walk with me in white. The church was a wreck, and there were, the majority there were not doing what they did. He said, but there's a few of you. I know your hearts, by the way. I'm walking among you. I have a sharpened two-edged sword. I, I, know who, I, know who, I know who you are. I know who you are. So compromise. Now, the question is, for you and me, um, how do we handle compromise today? How do we handle? Uh, give me some issues. There are some issues today that the cancel culture is going to have a big problem with that we have to stand for. Now, oh, by the way, did, did it say in here, Jesus said, to make sure you run now? No. We're not runners in that sense. We, we have to stand up, even as Brian said this morning. Uh, we're not runners. So, uh, but they were compromising. Uh, what might... What might they have been doing? Might, I'm using, what, what could they have been doing in order to compromise? He goes on to say, you're, you're, you're holding on to the doctrine of, of um, Balaam, and we can read uh, Numbers 22, 23, 24, three whole chapters on Balaam and Balak. And what was Balaam trying to do, by the way? He's wanting to curse Israel, make a little, make a little coin, on the side, be rewarded, religion, you know, uh, but, but he, God wouldn't let him do it. God wouldn't let him do it. And he goes on to say what Balaam was all about, sexual immorality and all these uh, uh, sacrificing to idols. So what could, knowing that, a little bit of a clue, we're going pull to the, pull the curtain back just a touch, what could they have been doing? Ah. Could have been giving in, possibly, to some of those things. Uh, for example, like what, Gary, maybe? Uh, homosexuality or eating food or idols or, you know, just something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead and bring the meat in. We know where it came from. Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14. Um, it could have been something like that. You know, it's no big deal. We know that meat's not anything. Eh, keep it down. Ryan? Turning a blind eye and not standing up for it. I think you kind of hit on that in the issue a little bit more relevant uh, today. When you see stuff come into the church, uh, it's not a big deal. They're here to worship. That, that's right. Have we all heard this one? You know, we're all on the same road. We're all going to the same place. What's a big problem? You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. And we'll get on down the road. It's going to be okay. Now, what's the easy road? What's the easy road there for you and me today? Yeah, that's right. No big deal. Uh, what other things could we? And Brian touched on that even this morning. What about MDR? Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Sorry, I, uh, sometimes we just call, call it MDR, it's easier to say. But uh, what is the easy route there? And I'll tell you, a lot of churches of Christ are going this way. 
What's the easy way? I'm coming to you, Don. What's the easy what? What's the easy way there? It doesn't matter. Don't ask. Don't tell. <laughs> don't ask. Don't tell. Um, you, you know God wants us to be happy. Where was that again now? Well, he, uh, he wants him to be happy and us to please him. Okay, Don. Uh, so uh, there's, there's nothing that says that, that we're demanded to be happy. No. We're demanded to be holy. Yes, that's true. Um, so, well, you know that that uh, the, 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 the Bible doesn't apply to me before I was baptized. There are some churches of Christ falling for that now. That, that it was washed, my sins were washed away there, and they were. But if you were a thief before, and you're baptized, you can't be a thief now. Or if you were living in adultery before, your sins were washed away, and you go back to that, that didn't do any good. You just got wet. You didn't repent. So that's today. That's the kind of stuff today. The, and it's hard. It's hard sometimes to, to stand for that because you hurt people's feelings. There's tears, all these things. I mean, nobody takes any delight in that. But what we've said before, we didn't write this. I honestly wish... <laughs> That, that Matthew 19 and Matthew 5 wasn't there. If I was writing it, I don't think I would have put it there, but I didn't. You didn't either. The Lord said that's serious business with him, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it'd make our lives a whole lot easier if it didn't say that. But easy is not the road that we're on. It's not easy to drag out Antipas and kill him in front of everybody either. Um, uh, Don, go ahead, sir. Okay. In other words, it's okay for you to do these little things, but you just can't go on to the next step. And so you're, you're, it's, it's almost like the, the Phariseeism of trying to find out what can we do without breaking the law. Okay. Uh, no, that, 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 that's a good point. And sometimes we want to, you know, the Bible doesn't say that we can't. We want to get to the line. I, I, you know that, um, that drinking wine... Um, even though the wines today are fortified, the wines were cut by 10 to 20 to 1 in those days. But I, I like it. I'm going to do it. And we're going to get as close to that line as we can in a lot of things. Well, the Bible don't teach stuff like that. It, it, it really doesn't. So we could almost fill the blank in on, on a lot of these things, what they were having to more than likely face and what we're having to face and compromise, and, but I, it's such a wonderful lesson, Mark. Brian was 100% right. You can say things in a way that doesn't offend people, but still get your point across, and you can say good morning to some people and, and make them angry. It's how you say it. It's how you say it. Um, preaching the truth, teaching the truth, not compromising the truth, but you don't have to be ugly about it, as they say in Alabama. You don't have to be ugly about it. 
Uh, it's, it's your approach. It's how you say it. Okay, so this is really good stuff. I mean, this is a nice history lesson unless we bring it home. Right? Questions, comments, and then I'm going I'm to go on to another point. I know it sounds a little preachy. I don't mean to sound preachy, but we got two, two, two preachers today that, are, that do it right, and I just am an imitator. Uh, Don and Lance, and we'll move. You want the short answer? Am I going to do that? No. <laughs> we certainly could, Don. It, 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 but we'd be here for two weeks, and, and uh, we're not going to do that. But no, I, I, you're, the valid point, but no, we won't do that this morning. Uh, what does Jude 3 say? You can paraphrase. Oh, it's a short one. You can say, contend earnestly for the faith, which was one time for all time delivered. We are to contend. We're not compromised. We have to contend for the faith that was the faith, this system of belief right here. Uh, we have to contend for that and be willing to stand up. But you stand up and contend, contend without being contentious. That makes sense? Is that easy to do always? No, no, it's not easy to do always. But that's what we're expected to do. Paul said in, uh, or Peter said, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, that any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. We are going to suffer as a Christian. If you're not, then it's mirror time. It's mirror time. We've got to look at the mirror. Um, uh, who, who, Doug? Lance? Okay, Lance, sorry. Okay, okay. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4. I actually had friends at one time that accused me of this. It talks about they think it's strange when you don't run with them anymore. As a young guy, I ran with them. Whatever needed to be done, you did it. And then stopped all that and started doing what was right. And they said, man, you, what happened to you? You don't run with us anymore. That's a fact. First Peter 4. We cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Because, you know, where you, which one of those are you miserable in? Oh, that's right. You're miserable in both of them. The people at church are too strict. I'm not comfortable there. The people in the world are too crazy. I'm not comfortable there. Well, guess what? You're not comfortable anywhere. That's a miserable way to live. Choose one side or the other and get on with it. Galatians 5 and verse 9 talked about purging. Paul talks about, which Don touched on, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Well, why don't you just push this aside and not worry about it? What happens with that leaven? What happened in Corinth and what, what's happening here in, uh, in Pergamos. You better be careful, Jesus said, that leaven eventually will get the whole church. So why do you have to deal with these things? Is it pleasant? I ask the elders. Is that pleasant? Not, nothing pleasant about it. 
but we have to deal with it. And not only elders, but the preachers and everybody else. There's some things you've got to deal with in order to keep the church pure. Okay, we got five minutes. So um, <clears throat> one quick, quick point, just for the record. Jesus tells all these seven churches to, to repent. Now, these were Christians to repent or, or basically be condemned. What does that imply about this once saved, always saved thing? It's a false doctrine. It's not in the book of Revelation or any, anywhere else in the Bible. Otherwise, what's the point? There's no point. So uh, th 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 that's a doctrine we have to talk about. It's not a biblical. It's not, it's not biblical. Now, let's jump down. I want to spend the last three or four minutes on this. Just to, I'm going to give you my opinion, uh, studied opinion, but still an opinion. He talks about the hidden manna. What is the hidden manna? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Uh, I won't have time to read it, but go to John 6 this afternoon. John 6 is just filled with Jesus said, uh, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And oh, by the way, they're all dead now. But he said, I am the manna. I am the bread of life. So he's talking about when it, with this hidden manna, he's talking about Jesus himself. He's life. He's the bread of life, if you will. So uh, look at John 6 and then go, go to the end of this, this last verse or two here. It's a nice little study. It's a nice little study. Then he says, uh, I find this interesting, uh, he who overcomes, I'll give him some of the hidden manna to eat. That's, that's talking about Jesus and what he, all that he entails. And I'll give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. There was a tradition during those times. And we even carried it forward in some of our jewelry. It used to be when boys and girls are dating and uh, the ones going off to college or, or somewhere, they, they, would, they would, you've seen this heart where it's, it's cut in half, a little, little jagged, and you got her name on it that you have, and she's got your name on it that she has. That's what the white stone, they actually would take stones and cut it, the stone in half, and put her name, or his name could be, you know, friends, friends, uh, one on each, and you would carry that with you. You would carry that, um, that with you. And it, um, it was stones of friendship, uh, so to speak. Um, so then he says, no one's going to know this name uh, except him who receives it. Now, what do you think that stone or that name is? Okay, we don't know 100%, but I'll tell you what I think. Uh, in Acts 11 and verse 26, what did um, uh, the writer say there about, and, the, and they were called first at Antioch. Isaiah said you're going to be known by a new name one day. In other places, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, Peter, and so on. Now, someone might say, and this is the first thing I, I thought, well, I got this new name. It says no one's going to know. Well, everybody knows what Christian was even then and now. 
Think about this just for your thoughts. Really. We wear, the, a lot of people wear the name Christian. Who really knows if you're a true Christian or not? God and basically you. It's a name which no one else will know if you're a true Christian except you and Jesus. You know what you're doing. You know where you're falling short. So do I. And you know if you're saved or not based on, based on this. He says you can know. 1 John 2. So to me, I, I could be off on this. But it makes a lot of sense with their tradition of, of taking a white stone, cutting it in half, and giving it to your best friend with, their name, with your name on it, and they give you one with their name on it. And that's a symbol of friendship. And says this, this new name, I think, is the name Christian. and No one can know it for sure. No one can read your heart except God and you. Now, that's what I came up with. I could be, you may disagree with that. And actually, it's okay. I, but I think that that's consistent with everything I've been able to study. But I wouldn't be adamant about it. Just a thought. Lance, and we will quit. And then Don. Okay. So each one as a part, it's, it, it applies to each one of them, and it's talking about those that overcome. Okay. And I think there's a progression here, because when we get down a little bit longer, it clarifies that that new name is his new name. So there, 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 there possibly is a progression here as he reveals more and more, as, as, as he talks to each one of these churches in this last section, which I believe is written to okay. all churches. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is the third stop with this, with this completed revelation, the book of Revelation. This is the third church is going to read all about all of this from, from all of them. No, I think that's right. Of course, we know the root word of Christians, Christ. So it's all about Christ. We're just a follower. Don, then we got to stop. Romans chapter 4 talks about the friend of God being Abraham. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus is departing from his disciples, he says, now you are my friend. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. I think that even lends more support to, to this word being Christian. Uh, that's a very good uh, support of that position, if you want to think of it like that. Okay, well, thank you, and I hope it was profitable for you.